Good day and welcome to the Parental Rights Podcast. I'm Michael Ramey, the Executive Director of the Parental Rights Foundation and ParentalRights.org. And today I'm with New York City resident and parent advocate Joyce McMillan. You can find this and all our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, or our website at ParentalRightsFoundation.org. And you can support our work through a donation at our website, ParentalRightsFoundation.org. Uh, today's guest, Joyce McMillan, is the founder of JMAC for Families and the PLAN Coalition, which stands for Parent Legislative Action Network. Now, Joyce is also a fellow with the Law for Black Lives and a visiting fellow at the Center for New York City Affairs at the New School. And that's just a start. She wears several other hats as well, including as a coalition partner I am proud to know and work with. We now continue with part two of this two-part podcast. I understand that the folks there in New York City the powers there in New York City aren't necessarily your biggest fans. No, they're you not. Mentioned, you mentioned one. is the one person who doesn't want to hear your quotes. Uh, is <laughs> that the, makes the me bureau really chief. happy, though, because it makes me, you know, initially, I've only been doing this work for five years. And initially, you know, I would come home feeling a little beat up. And then people started giving me pep talks saying, hey, if they're not angry with you, you're not doing a good job. And so um, shortly after that, I started recognizing that I was getting under people's skin in a positive way for families, right? To um, create the change that we all want to see. And I began to become very happy when, you know, people shunned me or said something negative or, you know, referred to me as a radical or whatever it is. Because I'm saying, why do I need to be referred to as a radical? Because I want to see children safe at home. What's radical about that? I'm not understanding. So I feel empowered today when um, the powers that be um, are frustrated with me. Yes. Well, I tell you, when they're calling you out by name, I mean, obviously you're, you're outstanding. You're doing something uh, if they're calling you out by name, that's wonderful. I'm a little antagonistic at times, I have to admit. And so I like to tell you a funny <laughs> story. Um, I won't forget, it was um, October 31st of last year. We were at City Hall for a hearing, and someone from the Administration of Children's Services said to me, Hey, Miss McMillan, how's it going? I said, Not too good. You still have a job. and so they were not smiling and I just walked away with this really big smile because I do believe that they need to be dismantled I don't Mm. believe that they should not exist but dismantling is different because it takes away all of the parts that are harmful to families and we stop using words like surveillance I mean support um, in a way that's synonymous to Mm -hmm. surveillance you know, because when they say support, what they mean is surveillance. And right. we need to actually hold them accountable for support being support, for it being something concrete and tangible that helps to elevate the family and bring them out of the despair um, that they're in. Yeah, I, the uh, conference I mentioned earlier where I met Jerry Milner a couple of years ago, Uh, One thing I found very refreshing at that particular conference, and it was a sort of an annual review conference for um, the the Children's Bureau, and they brought in some folks from all over the country who have programs that are support programs, not support, you know, as as a nice word for surveillance, but actual support. And one of the things that that really stood out between those programs and what we see so often and what you see so much there in New York City is that they lent a hand but trusted parents to make the decisions. 
Um, or in the case where maybe the parent can't be trusted uh, carte blanche yet, you know, for, right. But they provide support of a team where there's discussion, where the parents have a say and the parents are a, a weighty say. Uh, and the best ones, of course, were the ones where, you know, they connected the parents with resources that would allow the parents to continue to make decisions for their own children, allow the parents to keep their own children in their own home, keep the family together. Um, it wasn't surveillance and it wasn't saying, okay, well, we're going to give you this money or we're going to give you this help, help if you've jumped through all of our hoops. Minimal hoops, you know, minimal hoops. There, there is minimal, you know, I mean, you can't be abusing a child. You can't be neglecting a child, but meet the minimal hoops of being a fit parent and let's give you the resources you need and trust parents. Parents, you know, love their kids and want what's best for their kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think um, professionals are professionals and parents are experts. They're experts yes. in experience and they're experts in knowing who their children are. I mean, my children are adults today. I was affected by the system 20 years ago. My children today are 29 and 20 years old. And I still know them better than they know themselves. And so we cannot undermine um, how well a parent knows and understands what's best for their child. Yeah, we saw the figure, um, I believe, um, uh, well, it was on a federal government website, and I'm drawing a blank now on which department, but they, uh, the Department of uh, Labor or something or other, um, they, they calculated that on average, the parent will spend some 16,000 hours with their child and therefore getting to know their child in the first six years that the child is alive. Um, it takes roughly 10,000 hours, experts tell us, to become an expert in something. So by the time your child is six, you are beyond an expert in your child. And that's by the time they're six. Uh, so then our, one of our board members did the math um, and calculated that just for a school teacher, for instance, not to put school teachers on the spot, but if your child were in this, had the same school teacher every day, 180 school days a year, six hours of the day, it would take them something like 16 years to reach that same level of expertise that the parent has of their child by the time the child is six. So, I mean, that's just some numbers and some stats to back up what you just said. Of course, we all know it's true without the numbers, uh, but it's just kind of nice to have those numbers there to back it up. I love right? that. And I would like to segue that into, I like some numbers myself. And one of the numbers that I always use is we are so satisfied with, oh, yes, we separated the family temporarily, but they do get to visit with their children at least once a week for two hours. But if we do the math on that, that equates to four days out of the year. And mm -hmm. so for parents for, who have become the experts in their children's lives to be reduced to four hours and not have the ability to oversee now what people are doing and saying and how they're treating and interacting with their children based on what they think they know mm -hmm. and parents know they don't know is catastrophic to the child and the community and the family. Yes. And there are, there are more and more studies all the time now that showing the trauma that that causes to the child to be taken away from their parents. Um, just, just that, just the moment of removal when the child suddenly has to come to grips at the age of two or at the age of four or what, at whatever age is suddenly confronted with the notion that, you know, mom or dad is not big enough to protect me from everything after all. And that just rips away their entire belief network. I mean, we all depend on that as a child. Absolutely. We're helpless. 
but yeah. here's but here's this big being in our life, mom or dad or both, this this supersized person with the power and the strength to take care of everything we need to protect us from everyone to meet all of our needs. And uh -huh. as we grow and mature, we realize more and more, okay, maybe that's not entirely the case. But when we were a baby, it was 100% the case. They and then they just heroes. rip that away in a moment. In a moment, without a thought, yes. based on an allegation, not even a real determination, nothing concrete. Oftentimes, it's based on um, how the case manager feels about how you responded to them mm -hmm. when they knocked on your door. It becomes very personal for them. Um, how dare you challenge me? And children are removed for that challenge often, right? It's not just right. about what occurred in the home. And so um, I, I just appeal to every listener um, to whatever state and city you're from, whatever jurisdiction you live in, to know what is happening and to stand up because we can't sit by idle even if it's not happening to us. Because if it's not happening to us and if we don't have children, it can end up happening to one of our loved ones, someone that we care deeply about. And that's why one of my favorite quotes is Martin Luther King's, any injustice to anyone, any threat of injustice to anyone anywhere is a threat of injustice to everyone everywhere. We have to stand together when we know wrong is happening and we have to protect children because clearly the systems that's been created to quote unquote protect mm -hmm. children are not doing that. Right. Yeah. And we as an organization have often said the only way we're going to be able to protect the parental rights of any of us is to protect the parental rights of all of us. Absolutely. Parental rights are fundamental, then they're fundamental for everyone. The person who disagrees with me as well as the person who agrees with me. Um, so we are right there with you on that. Fully and completely agree. Anonymous reporting. I know you're not a fan of that. Not at all. Um, so we've been pushing the thing about confidential reporting instead. You have to give your name. So the family may still not know who called, but somebody knows who called and there's a record there which should, I would hope, get rid of a lot of the frivolous or even uh, mean-spirited anonymous reporting that's going on. Um, but not only that, it creates integrity because the thing about the justice system is it's a balance beam. Mm -hmm. And if we're allowing someone to report and we're taking the word of CPS, um, who runs the state central registry um, on the state levels, to say this is what the caller said and report that with no check and balance, no follow-up, no ensuring that what they said wasn't taken out of context or overplayed up, then that's tipping the scale to one side. And we have to begin to bring balance to this child welfare system. And, and that's an aspect of that I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of, but that's absolutely true. We just have to take the system's word for it that that's what the caller said. Exactly. Wow. And so that can change at any point in time because who's, who's seen those records? So now when they're dead set on ensuring that Miss McMillan is nasty and rude and she shouldn't have her children because we don't like her and her home is not as clean as we would like it to be and she cursed when she spoke to us so she's a bad influence, who said those records don't suddenly change? 
I mean, we've witnessed this in the criminal justice system until the cameras started rolling. We took the police officer's word that he was trying to wrestle the gun from him. But when the cameras started rolling, we saw the guy was running away. So we have to, um, with looking at the parallels between the two systems, we have to take this very seriously and begin to bring some accountability and some balance. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. And, and to, to, um, to add to that, of course, the angle that we have looked at before is even if we could trust the system, even if the system is completely true, there's still the caller. And the caller could just be a jilted ex or some upset family member who's upset with you for something completely unrelated. And to get back at you, they've called in a fake report and said that you're a terrible person. Actually, I actually had a teacher call in a fake report on me. Um, and because they used their mandated um, um, calling, um, I, I knew it was them anyway. And the reason why is because um, I used my married name when my children were in school. Even though I had been divorced, I used my married name because there's a preconceived notion that in black households, everyone has a different father or mom was never married and all of these different things. And I was very cognitive of these implicit biases, especially since my children went to school in a all white district. So when um, CPS came to my home and they referred to me as my married last name, I knew in that moment it was the school who called. I knew who the disgruntled party was. Oh. And I addressed it right then and there because I had never signed a lease or did anything with my married name other than used it in the school system. Wow. And see, and coming back to this anonymous reporting thing, because that was a mandated reporter, the system could go back and verify that the person you said was disgruntled was the one who called it in. If it had been anonymous, they, they couldn't even prove that. They couldn't even prove that you were right about that. Right. So there are all kinds of problems in the system, anonymous reporting and the whole mandated reporter. They anticipated it was going to be anonymous. They weren't volunteering that it was the teacher. Right. Only because of the name that was utilized right. in this report that I recognized where it came from. Anyone right. else would not have referred to me with that last name. They would have right. referred to me with my last name, McMillan. Wow, right. Let me just get your take on this one other thing. Uh, and I, I think you're in the working group for the coalition, but, but haven't really been able to be active with it yet because of, the, because of this law that just got passed. I know you've been very busy, but there's a working group in our coalition that's discussing this uh, ask for the Adoption and Safe Families Act, and particularly something Jerry Milner mentioned again in that article last week. There's this thing in ASFA where if a child has been out of the home for 15 of the last 22 months, the system can file to terminate parents' rights. And he's saying that with the quarantines, with the cutting off contact, with delaying court hearings as non-essential and this kind of thing, that we need to suspend that rule so that we're not breaking up families because they went over the 15 of 22 number during this COVID-19 outbreak. Absolutely. He's absolutely right. And he's forward thinking and getting ahead of it. Because what would happen if we didn't begin having this conversation right now is when court sessions resume, no one would mm -hmm. say, hey, wait, but we need to give this parent more time because that block of time 
actually was inactive time due to COVID-19. No one is going to say that on the behalf of parents and families. And so um, I really appreciate, again, his forward thinking mm -hmm. and his willingness to be upfront and honest. I have had people say to me, Joyce, a lot of the things you say are correct. Most of the things you say are correct, but you'll never hear me say it publicly because I would lose friends. I mean, wow. people really think like this. I find him to be a person who's not concerned about friendships, but concerned about the welfare of the family by ensuring families' parents' rights are upheld. Right. And so you will hear me support him in a lot of different ways for a lot of different reasons. Well, yeah, he seems to be legitimately on the same side that we are, the side of parents, the side of keeping families together. Absolutely. Um, yeah, this particular one is so important. Like you said, the courts wouldn't consider it and wouldn't realize that families have been robbed of that time because of the virus. And there's really nothing harder to reverse in the courts on appeal than termination of parental rights. Because by the time an appeal has come down, in a lot of cases, children have been adopted or whatever. It just becomes a convoluted mess once right. you terminate parents' rights. We've got to make sure we're not doing that recklessly. But here's the other thing that's happening that I want to see change. I would like to have judges be given the discretion to order visitation, even if it is necessary for some families or someone to have their rights terminated. I think it happens way too often. Mm -hmm. I think we have a very cavalier attitude towards it right now. But um, is it necessary in some cases? I'm absolutely sure that it is because nothing's 100% on any side, sure. right? But right. with that being said, judges, again, let's look at the scale and the balance. We give the judge on the left-hand side the weight to terminate a family, but we don't give them on the right side um, the ability to say, hey, not only is it in the best interest of the child to have their parents' rights terminated because they're not good decision makers, they're not good providers, they're not good a lot of things um, for this child, but we do recognize this court that the family loves the child and has an inability for whatever reason. So for this reason, we believe it would then be in the best interest of the child to maintain a relationship. We strip the judicial system of that authority, mm -hmm. again, creating a lopsided. And I don't care how many adoptive parents and foster parents and whoever it is that cries out against the idea of a judge having this type of power, we cannot allow our judicial system to be swayed by protesters. Right. Now, now let me encourage you with this. I saw an instance, I believe it was in Arkansas, where a judge was given that kind of freedom. And there was a situation where the mom had substance abuse issues. She could get clean. She could be there for her kids. But then she would struggle once the kids were back home because it added more stress again. Her kids had an ongoing relationship with a foster family. The judge got the mom and the foster family together. And over a period of months, they worked out and determined that mom's just not going to be able to handle those kids, but still needed to be a part of their life. And essentially, the foster family adopted the kids and mom. I mean, the whole thing was just this beautiful coming together of, of the whole family where the foster family supported mom's relationship with her kids while they they had the kids i mean but mom was not excluded she wasn't 
made to feel unworthy or lesser. And she was mom. They loved and respected her as mom. Uh, but the foster family was continually there um, as that support and a stable home environment for the kids. And so when people try this crazy idea you just put forward, uh, it, it works and it's beautiful. So I absolutely. absolutely love it. And we have to train the thinking of people. Yes. Um, one of the most disturbing meetings that I went to in my process of um, passing the state central registry, I was also peddling, if I could use that word, another bill, which is the Preserving Family Bonds um, Act, which is the one that would give the judge the judicial power to make that decision to continue a relationship even after rights are terminated. And someone in one of the meetings said to me, um, a white lady, she said, Miss McMillan, she said, do you really believe that a family who is interested in adopting a child that comes from such circumstances would wanna keep contact with the parent who may even have been a drug user? Wow. Wow. I was not happy. I was not happy. It was a slap in the face. It was very disrespectful. And um, I had to be honest and tell her that I thought that was a disrespectful statement and that it dishonored family values. Mm -hmm. And that overall, it just wasn't a good statement to make. I think it sells short a lot of the uh, foster and adoptive parents out there too. They love those kids enough. They know they're coming from a broken home. They know they're coming from a bad situation. But they also, in a lot of instances, they know that, okay, maybe mom or dad is not in a position to be making good decisions for their child, but mom or dad still needs to be a part of that child's life for this child's sake. Um, so I think there are a lot of families out there would be willing to, to do that. Absolutely. And I think um, we wouldn't have to wrestle rights away from um, some parents who have difficulty being a parent and who may not really even want to be a parent full time if there was a clear understanding and enforceable rules in the court that even when we make the agreement hey if you give up your rights voluntarily you'll get to see your children and then that does not happen and then it's right. not enforceable in court if there was an honest system operating in front of us i think people who really felt challenged by being a parent would be willing to give their rights up because I think parents who truly love their kids want to do what's in their best interest. I think, but because they love their kids, they understand another, a large portion of the best interest is maintaining family ties and bonds and understanding your medical history and yes. other things that family dynamics bring. And they don't want to lose that. Right. Absolutely. And they just, they don't want to lose their kids and they don't want their kids to lose the benefit of having those connections stay intact. Right. And so, if you were able to keep those connections, you may find more people being willing. And I wouldn't have a problem if it was really my decision and not someone twisting my arm to make that decision. But right. if as a parent, I could be honest with myself and say, Hey, Michael could do a better job. And I believe my kids will be more stable and more successful in his care. But Michael, am I going to be able to spend Christmases and Easter's and Thanksgiving and other monumental um, progresses in my children's lives um, with them and with you and them? Yeah, right. Absolutely. Now, Joyce, I think we could probably go on for hours and hours and we've still got topics we haven't even touched yet. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up 
for this episode of the Parental Rights Podcast, but thank you so much for being on the program, Joyce. Thank you, Michael, for having me. Great. Now, to our listeners, remember to catch up on past episodes and follow new ones on iTunes, Spotify, or our website at parentalrightsfoundation.org and give to support the work of the Parental Rights Foundation, including this podcast at parentalrightsfoundation.org. Until next time, thank you for joining us as we protect children by empowering parents.